Uh, one announcement uh, this morning, brothers and sisters, just by way of reminder, uh, this upcoming Saturday, July 9th, we will have a town hall Q&A, 10 a.m. in the chapel uh, for Jordan Erickson as we continue to consider him for a larger pastoral role. He served on staff here for a number of years, and we will have a congregational uh, members vote uh, July 24th at, at our uh, summer meeting. That's all I got for announcements. Uh, it is good. It is good to worship with you this morning, brothers and sisters. I'll ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures, if you haven't already, and turn to Psalm 32. And our sermon title this morning is, The Beauty of Forgiveness. As we will see, forgiveness is something we all long for, whether it be in a religious sense with God or in a relational sense with the people around you. Forgiveness is what we long for. And the theologian Adele speaks powerfully to this in a song of hers. The song goes something like this. Hello. It's me. Hello from the outside. I must have called a thousand times to tell you I'm sorry for everything that I've done. Raw words, and she says them much more beautifully than I do, but raw words of regret and pain that we've all felt. What would propel Adele, or you and I this morning, to seek forgiveness, offer apology, and admit failing in our life? The scriptures, our Psalm of David, answers these questions for us this morning. Our main point is simply, faithful followers of Christ receive and offer forgiveness. Would you read with me, please, in Psalm 32, uh, we'll read all of the psalm, verses 1 through 10. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you. And teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, 
and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Well, first, we see in our song this morning the relief, the relief of forgiveness in verses 1 and 2. Now, in verses 1 and 2, we come to a word that we've already seen in our series in the Psalms at the beginning of Psalm 1 and the end of Psalm 2. A word that summarizes much of our desires in life. The word blessed. Now, David isn't a cute grandma from Alabama who says, God bless you, little, little one. This word blessing isn't some cultural throw-in. It is a description of a life of joy, a life of happiness. And we often live the life of faith wondering, wondering, how can I be happy? Our psalm starts off helping faithful followers of Christ pursue a happy life by saying this, those who are truly happy and blessed in this life are the ones who have received forgiveness. David, in these verses, uses a couple familiar Old Testament phrases to communicate this in his own life and to his readers. So in verse 1, the happy person is one whose sin is covered. This could be understood wrongly, and a happy person has a, a blanket thrown over their sin. It's maybe thrown under, pushed under a rug, and just put out of sight. Well, we have familiar and similar language in Proverbs 17.9 that says this, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. You see, the idea of covering is the idea of overwhelming. I'm offended by something, but my love covers and overwhelms whatever that offense was. My sin offended others and God, but when I was forgiven, when I was covered, that sin was overwhelmed by love and forgiveness. Verse 2, the happy life doesn't merely know and experience forgiveness. That life knows the freedom, release, and the burden of guilt falling away. Falling away as they live, knowing that God doesn't hold it against them. And they have a fresh heart with nothing being hidden. This is the blessed life. Right standing with God. No condemnation. And as the song says, no guilt in life. No fear in death. Doesn't that sound wonderful? To live that kind of life? To have that kind of freedom? Well, many of us walk our dangerous journey of life, this life of faith, the same way that Christian did as he started out in the story of Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, repent. Buy an updated copy and read it, Pilgrim's Progress. Christian is a man leaving the city of destruction on his way to the celestial city, but he slowed He's weighed down and hindered by a giant boulder of a burden strapped to his back. You see, the blessed life, the truly joyful life, is a forgiven life, both with God and with others. Have you thought in categories like this? Have you perhaps sought the blessed and happy life and wonder why you haven't achieved it? 
we read in these first two verses that blessing, the life that your soul longs for, is found in forgiveness. So that is the goal. Blessing. How do we get there? Well, I want us to see next in our psalm the weight of guilt in verses 3 through 4. The weight of guilt. And in these verses, David describes his burden hanging over him because initially he wasn't willing to admit his sin, verse 3 says. Like many of us, David kept quiet and silent. He failed or was even unwilling to seek forgiveness from God and other people. And you and I, we can empathize with that, can't we? With our songwriter. We often don't want to admit our sin to God and to the people around us. And when you and I have a heavy burden, a lack of forgiveness, or a secret sin hovering over us, it really does feel like our bones are wasting away. You feel in that moment less than human. Your body and spirit are drained There is a heaviness in your heart and mind. And like verse 4, you can't stop thinking about it day or night. You may aim to suppress, to forget about it, to justify it, but it doesn't help. You still feel dried up. The weight of guilt in David's life and ours is actually, it's actually a kind gift to us. As verse 4 says, God will put his heavy hand upon us because he's after our hearts. God will press, convict, and even use people in our lives to help us deal with sin, guilt, and shame because his desire is that we would live the blessed life as a faithful follower of Christ. It's also evidence that he doesn't give up on his people. God doesn't merely leave us in our sin, but as Hebrews 12 states, God will often correct us. Because as a perfectly heavenly father, he doesn't give up on his children. So when we feel the weight of guilt and sin on our life, that is God's kindness to us as a father who doesn't give up on his children. Lakewood, are we willing to admit that some of us here this morning are stuck in verses 3 and 4? Some of us are wasting away, unwilling to break the silence, unwilling to take a step forward toward blessing because we fall into the trap of believing lies, just like we discussed last week in Psalm 12. Here's the lie. If I keep silent, if I don't deal with this sin, this guilt, this feeling of wasting away, if I keep silent, eventually it will just take care of itself. Eventually, blessing will come if we just put it out of mind or if I'm just patient. If I choose to live outside the relational community of God and his people, (laughs) I'll be fine. My strength is dried up. I'm suffering. I'll just keep waiting and I'll just keep quiet. Is that not a lie that we tell ourselves? Does it sound familiar? Of course it sounds familiar. It's because that's what we tell ourselves when we're unwilling to speak, to admit, to confess. Each of us 
falls into this trap, and each of us believe this lie, each of us will silently choose to waste away. So what might this look like in our lives? Husbands and wives, unwilling to confess, and they keep silent about struggles with lust and unfaithful thoughts and actions in their marriage. Children and teens, unwilling to confess, and they keep silent the secret sins of anger and resentment towards parents or real doubts about God. Co-workers unwilling to confess and they keep silence about pent-up frustration and unmet expectations. Young, old, single, married, widowed, divorced, employed, retired, no matter the season of life, we struggle with confession, not just to God, but to our church community. Many of us silently suffer with the heavy hand of God. Urging us not just to come clean, but to press into others. God help us to grow in this liquid. We will not see true health and flourishing in our local church until we are willing to admit the struggle and the weight of guilt. This naturally leads us next to the safety, the safety of confession. I get this directly from verses 5 through 7 in our text. Notice again, look again at verse 5. This is the hinge to everything changing David's life. He was wasting away. He was desiring the relief of forgiveness. God's heavy hand was upon him until, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. You see, David came to a point where he couldn't be silent any longer. It was eating him up too much, and he desperately needed the burden released from his back that was weighing him down. But notice the immediate result of that honest confession. The immediate result of that confession at the end of verse 5. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Isn't it so true that often when it comes to confession to God, we have the weight of guilt because we, God, I, I can't confess this to you. I can't, if they knew what I, God, if I, if I vocalize what I've done and said and thought, but there's an immediate, immediate release. From God, there is no hesitation. In this passage, there's no tongue lashing, no condemnation, no half-hearted acceptance, no holding a grudge. David confesses to God and the release is immediate forgiveness. This too is a gift of God. Both the confession and the granted forgiveness is a gift. God graciously works in us to enable us to speak, to confess sin to him and others. If left to ourselves, we would all often, and rather self-righteously, I might add, we might refuse to confess. We might seek to protect ourselves from being put in a negative light or being accountable for something. The reason there is safety in confession, my friends, 
is because we also experience the kind gift of forgiveness. And you may know this verse, 1 John 1, 9, where the Apostle John says, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verses 6 and 7 of our psalm, they're poetic reminders. Verse 6 and 7 are poetic reminders that the waters of trouble and judgment that we read will not consume us, will not consume those who've confessed their sins and experienced forgiveness. God truly is a hiding place, a safe haven from trouble, and we will celebrate the blessed and happy life with those who go to Him. The safety of confession. And this safety of confession, even as one of our elders, Joe, prayed, is fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Jesus, the God-man, came and lived the perfect life that you and I never could. I know you've heard this, but you have to be reminded of it. Because Jesus never had the need of confession for sin. He never felt the weight of his own sin, but rather the weight of others' sins. Jesus fully experienced the blessed life, and he walked intimately with God his Father. And Jesus, he took that perfect life and he cashed it in, not for his own benefit or his own accord, but for the benefit of others like you and I. He willingly died on the cross and substituted himself in our place, suffering the wrath of God so that we would never have to. Jesus suffered so that we could know the blessed life of forgiveness. He rose again three days later, conquering sin and death, and is now, as we said in our responsive reading time, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And those who trust in him, those who cling to him in faith, those who believe he is God and that he died and rose again, those who accept his sacrifice on behalf of their sin, Those individuals are granted intimacy and union with God as a child of God. Those individuals are given new hearts where God enables them to confess sin and to experience renewal, restoration, and the burden-lifting joy of forgiveness. You will never get past the gospel of Christ. There is nothing deeper. If you want the blessed life, you go to the gospel that you just heard. You go to Christ who enables, as we said, confession and forgiveness. My friends, this morning, do you know this reality? Have you experienced the blessing of forgiveness? Or has it been a long season of your bones wasting away? Go to Christ. Go to Christ to know the safety of confession. And this has implications on our earthly relationships as well. As you are right with God, He will shape your heart to make things right with one another. Keep short accounts. God aims for you to know the safety of confession with one another. And I would remind you of the teachings of Jesus here in Matthew 18 as he shared the parable of this unforgiving servant. If you have been forgiven a great debt, if your sin has been forgiven, 
covered and released, then we should be quick to forgive others when they wrong us. And let me just also insert here quickly the complexity of our earthly human relationships. Our confession in a broken world, as a broken person, to other broken people, will not always produce immediate forgiveness and immediate restoration and closeness as it can with God. Time is often the necessary prerequisite to confession, forgiveness, and restoration in our relationships. So be faithful. Be faithful in confessing. Be faithful in aiming to forgive and to restore. Trust the Lord to work as you are faithful in these things. And do not grow weary in doing good. Lakewood, may we model this and be a safe place for confession so that we would be a safe place for restoration. Well, David does continue in his psalm, and we see now the humility of listening. I get this directly from verses 8 and 9. Look again. Now, in verses 8 and 9, there is some debate here about whether it is the psalmist speaking or God himself. And I do fall on the side of God responding to the writer's confession. And what we see in light of heavy burdens and life-giving confession is a time of listening and instruction. The question our psalm forces us to consider is this. Am I willing to listen? Am I teachable? If I have kept silent in my sin when God has worked in me to finally confess it to him and to others, would God have something for me to learn? If I've experienced forgiveness, does the work stop there? Or does God have something to instruct me with, to guide me so that I don't find myself in the very same situation that I just got out of? See, God's response to our writer in verses 8 and 9, well, let's be honest, it's a little offensive uh, to the proud of heart. If you aren't teachable and willing to listen in the midst of guilt, confession, and forgiveness, or even afterwards, verse 9 says, you're like a horse or a mule, which do not have very favorable other names they may go by. You and I are told, along with David, to not be a senseless animal. Don't be like an animal that has no moral sense to guide your decision-making. You see, the blessing of forgiveness is sin being revealed in your heart and your life. So when we encounter sin in our flesh, we actively turn from it. We listen to God. We listen to His Word and to godly people in our life. As verse 8 says, we seek the way we should go so that we don't fall back into it. This is a short point, but a powerful one. Are you willing to listen in the midst of forgiveness and confession and restoration? Are you teachable? What do you need to change? Are you like a mule or a horse or some mix of those? Are you even willing to listen to the counsel and the teaching of someone who doesn't present it the perfect way? What if they irk you temperamentally? What if they come to you and they've been wrong about the last 10 things, 
But maybe this one they get right. God's word calls us to have a humility, a humility in listening. Well, lastly, in conclusion, I would like us to see the joy, the joy of trust in our concluding two verses, verses 10 and 11. Now, as you read verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. That might seem a little harsh and unnecessary to our 21st century American ears. But those who will not admit their sin, those who waste away with guilt, who will not confess sin to God and to others, who live independently and self-righteously, who will not take a humble posture in listening, they experience sorrow. It's difficult for David to feel bad for the proud spirit because the blessed life is within reach. But in contrast, the faithful follower of Christ is promised to be surrounded by steadfast, covenant-keeping love of God when they trust in Him. I love verse 10. Steadfast love, covenant-keeping love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. A trust in the Lord. Well, I think the natural question then, according to this psalm, is what does trust look like in verse 10? What does trust look like? It's rather simple, and we've covered it already. Trust looks like believing and acting according to the word that you and I have read this morning. Trust looks like believing the promise of the relief of forgiveness. Trust looks like admitting sin, believing in the safety of confession, and the forgiveness found in Christ. Trust is listening and following God's instruction and word. A trust like that produces joy, verse 11 says. It produces rejoicing, celebration, dancing, and shouting. And I know you're from northern Minnesota, but like there can be dancing and shouting and joy because you're trusting Him, because you're experiencing the blessing of forgiveness with Him and with others. One writer says, Joy, ecstatic shrieking, and singing are all appropriate responses for those who experience the faithful love of God poured out in them. Does this describe your life and heart? Psalm 32 tells us it can be a reality of our faithful following. Brothers and sisters, this week, will you trust God? Faithful followers of Christ receive and offer forgiveness. Will you contemplate that perhaps God has you here this morning to consider in a fresh way your need for the beauty of this kind of blessed life? Will you allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to influence and guide your actions and your pursuit of forgiveness, both with Him and the people around you? The people that he's put in your life, by the way. That's no accident. Make plans even today. Resolve to make plans for the week. Set time aside to intentionally seek forgiveness vertically with God and horizontally with others. God help us to grow in this liquid. 
we desperately need to. Especially me. So we come to a point in our service now this morning where we see really easy, easily rather, the intimate connection between communion and forgiveness. I'll ask those who are serving communion to come forward at this time. But, but the intimacy, the beauty of forgiveness and communion is this. We've just read about the blessed life, the one who receives and offers forgiveness, how that is fulfilled in the person and the work of Christ on your behalf. And now we come to an ordinance, a remembrance of how Christ has accomplished that blessed life for you. You will not achieve the blessed life based on your performance. Jesus is enough. But I do think God would have us consider the blessed life, forgiveness, and our response in communion. Let me read in 1 Corinthians 11 a warning that Paul gives you and I. He says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So I want to invite you, if you are a faithful follower of Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, this meal is for you. But in light of Paul's warning and even the blessed life that we read about in Psalm 32, if you have unrepentant sin in your life, if you have not restored or been willing to seek reconciliation with people in your life, then allow this to go by. Allow this to go by so that you, as those who are considering Christianity in here and aren't believers, that you would feel the weight, the appropriate weight and the heavy hand of God on you and seek restoration and forgiveness in your life. Can I pray for us? Father, as we come now uh, in a moment of reflection, in a time of prayer, maybe a time of confession to you, as these elements are passed out, as we remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed so that we can know the beauty of forgiveness, I pray also we would take this time to remember the beauty of forgiveness and relationships among us. God, if there is some sin in our life, would you show it to us so that we can confess? And when we see that sin and that weight, would we not be broken in the sense where we're consumed by it? But would we in that moment proclaim Jesus, the Savior who died for the sins of the world, the Savior who who died so that we would know the release of that guilt and weight. Thank you that no matter what our life has looked like, no matter what sin we've been wrestling with, no matter how embarrassed we are about our thoughts, actions, and even our words, there is great grace in the gospel of Christ. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.